It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today, we've got official word from the NFL on the draft going on as scheduled. We will update you on the particulars there. And then we've got the NFL's all-decade team voted on and selected by the NFL Hall of Fame. Maybe we'll get an idea of some potential Hall of Famers for the Bengals coming out of this most recent generation. One guy ends up making the list and the Bengals have a few good candidates so I wonder if it's the guy you expect let's get into that news first and then Joe we've got some questions we're doing a mini mailbag that's right we put up a a thread on Twitter and I was hoping to direct you guys into some specific questions about the draft and the process with two weeks to go but you guys went off the rails as usual off the rails listeners who who could have imagined that people on the internet Joe wouldn't do wouldn't go the direction, wouldn't follow the guide rails that we put up for them, you know? It's, it's typical. It's, it's just a cry and shame, this internet that we all live on. So we'll get into that in the second and third parts of the show. We're going to start, though, with the draft news and the NFL All-Decade team. Joe, let's get started with the draft news. Teams will be drafting as scheduled, confirmed, I feel like for the third time in the last week, April 23rd to April 25th, the dates are not moving. What's new today is that teams will not be permitted to congregate in any way, shape, or form. GMs, coaches, etc. will be in their homes. And man, you know, I, I can't help but think, I wonder if any of these teams had the foresight to quarantine together. Ah, yeah, you're right. They could have just been working and getting the draft board all set up together. It's going to be interesting because... I start to think about internet connection and maybe how some people are great at conducting work from home and some just aren't used to it. So how does that affect the meeting process and the discussion? If a coach starts getting on the table for his guy in round four because he wants this offensive lineman and the GM doesn't want him, did he say, sorry, your connection's breaking up, drafts the receiver because, I mean, I didn't hear you, sorry. I mean, it'll depend, I think, on what kind of teleconferencing they're using. I don't think NFL teams are going to be out there using Zoom like the rest of us. They'll be using something that they pay for that has a secured line, I hope. And these teams have so much money to throw at IT problems. I have to believe that the Bengals, just like every other team in the NFL, is going to make sure that they have the technical infrastructure in place 
to make this thing go off without a hitch. I just worry that there will be some technical snafus that lead to miscommunications. I think it'll be interesting to see how trading is impacted. I guess people are working the phones either way, but you can't just be on the phone and say, hey, they counter offered this to the guy sitting next to you. Mm-hmm. It'll be, I think, a lot more cumbersome in a lot of ways for these teams to go through their business. But at the same time, the NFL highly adaptable and the league itself doesn't want to miss out on the money for all those ads they've sold. But let's move on to the all decade team. Andrew Whitworth didn't make the cut and it's a little bit hard to stomach, but at the same time, really good tackles in the 2010s. It's really a little bit difficult to make the argument there. Although I think he should have probably been on the team. AJ Green doesn't make the cut because he's had injury issues. He's missed some time. He doesn't have enough productivity in the decade because really of the, just the last couple of years, if he's healthy, the last couple of years, I think he's on it for sure. But the guy that does make it for the Bengals and thus becomes the most likely player on the current roster to be a future hall of famer, Geno Atkins, who in his career has obviously been fantastic. And the ramifications and why this is so important is because it's voted on by the hall of fame committee And if you make the all-decade team, there is a significant chance that you're going to be a a Hall of Famer when your career is is said and done in the 70s. One guy has not made the Hall of Fame, Drew Pearson, and he's probably going to make it eventually. The 80s, everyone's made it. In the 90s, everyone's made it. What does this mean for Geno Atkins? It pretty much solidifies his status that he will make the Hall of Fame five years after he retires, if not maybe a, a couple years after. But all of these guys end up making it in at some point. Here's a resume for Geno Atkins making the 2010 All-Decade team. For one, it's to his benefit that he was drafted in 2010. And so his entire career is the last decade. He has played in 153 games in those seasons. He's made eight Pro Bowls. He's been an All-Pro twice. And in those seasons that he was an All-Pro, he had 11 and 12 and a half sacks respectively to go along with 17 tackles for loss in both seasons in his career, 75 and a half sacks, officially 100 tackles for a loss, just an incredibly impressive resume. He's only missed time really in 2013 when he tore his ACL and the Bengals world stopped. And in the next year he wasn't great, but then he came back and he was strong. So we'll have to see if the fall off from last year is truly the effects of age and wear and tear or if he still got a bounce back in with DJ Reader signed to play beside him in this big free agency period. Yeah, honors. I mean, he's he's worth it completely. He's deserving of all of the accolades and, and the final one that's probably coming after his career is done. Just quickly, though, Andrew Whitworth, because people will ask four Pro Bowls, two first-team All-Pros, and one second All-Pro. If you want to um, debate whether A.J. Green or Whitworth is more deserving, it's definitely Whitworth with those three All-Pro nominations and, and, and honors because I think when you look at the Hall of Fame and you look at how the decade team is created, those carry the most weight, and it's the All-Pro. And if Green was healthy, though, just to that point, he missed the Pro Bowl in one year, and that was 2018 when he was hurt. 2019 didn't play at all. Prior to that, Pro Bowl every year in the NFL. Easy case to make for him, too. So I think a lot of people today, well, at least on Twitter, have said to me, well, if Geno's in, what's Whitworth's chances? What are A.J. Green's chances? And I think Whit has a great chance, but Green has maybe the more of the of a discussion right now. And it's largely because of the last two years, cutting off a year and a half of 
really what should have been the end of his prime, or at least the uh, on the apex, the other side of the apex of his prime. There should have been good, productive years. And when you look at who made the list on the all-decade team, there's a strong case that, fine, Megatron, Julio, they're above A.J. Green. But next is Larry Fitzgerald and Antonio Brown. And Antonio Brown's numbers are very comparable to Green because, well, Brown missed last year too, and he's probably completely done. Fitz, though, I think you can make a very strong case that it would, it would have been Green over Fitz in that team if Green would have played the final two years. I think the interesting thing, though, is I don't think Antonio Brown makes the Hall of Fame anymore, not just because of the way his career has gone, right? You need kind of need not just the high-end play, but the longevity, and then you kind of have to be a good person afterwards. And I think that has a lot of a lot of a, an effect on the voting process. And as of right now, maybe you can say Green surpasses him if he can get back. Now, what does Green need to do? That's the question. He needs to have a productive next three or four years in the NFL. Uh, they can't be marred with injury or just end up falling into oblivion, whereas some receivers do at this age. And then the other part is have a – because he probably won't be an all-pro at this stage in his career – but can he have a playoff footprint? Can he make an impact? Can he have a not even a Larry Fitzgerald-type run in the playoffs because that's such a remarkable thing? Some type of footprint. Catch a touchdown in a playoff game. Help your team win one. Not that he hasn't already before. They should have beat the Steelers, not to bring that game up. But a game or performance like that in a win or even deeper in the playoffs would help out a lot. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame, right? Because A.J. Green is going to go down as one of the best Bengals of all time. And if not for the last two years it would be a really easy case to make. And instead, we're sitting here talking about, well, he needs to continue to be productive in his early 30s here. He needs, and, and Joe Burrow should help with this. We, we really hope that Joe Burrow will help with this. The other thing is that I've talked about is, can they get him in the slot more? Because mm-hmm. look at how that, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald has been in the slot for a very long time, but that's how you get that sort of long career for AJ Green. That's how you get him to continue to be productive is find ways to get him in the slot, get him into those uh, those condensed formations that I hate running in so much, but it does do good things for helping your receivers uh, with leverage, helping him get off the line. Not that AJ has a problem with his release, but uh, they'll have to be creative for using him to keep him productive. But Joe, we have some questions to get to. We'll do our first of two mailbags this week. And maybe next time we'll prime you. We'll give you the 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 verbal warning on the podcast that we're, let's talk about process today. What questions do you have about where we are in the draft process? So well, let's focus on that for Friday. For, for today, we'll just look at what questions we have because I'm sure they're great. And we'll get into those in just a minute. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day mailbag here's the mail it never fails it makes me want to wag my tail juice to watch that jake how how have we not had that song come up in all the mailbags we've done that's how it should that's how we should bring back mailbag like from the segment you know from the break and just start with that song i i remember blues clues from when i was a kid 
And I remember, I think I was like a little too old for it. So I would like kind of be flipping through the channels if I was homesick from school and I would get to it. I'd be like, I don't, I don't want to watch this. I had a younger sister, so I think we still watched it and you know, it's catchy. It wasn't bad. I mean, it is what it is. It's still on TV though. If you know, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, but I I can't believe it's still on. Is this Power Rangers still on? That's what I wanted to watch when I was a kid. Power Rangers is still on. It's just, I mean, it's 25 years later, so it's pretty wild now. But you know, you know what I learned about Power Rangers that I didn't know when I was a kid is that they used all the action footage was from the yeah. Japanese show, and they just had the American actors for the non-action scenes, and the vo- and, and then I, they voice overed it. Yeah, and that's why they saved a lot of money. If you watch the show on Netflix, The Toys That Made Us, there's a good Power Rangers episode uh, in basically how the, it was all designed to create toys and merchandise. And that's how, if you watch the Ninja Turtles one on that too, it's really good. But um, if I remember correctly, the Yellow Ranger overseas was a male. So yeah. that is a male performing all those actions. And it's you know not when we watched our version. There you go. Learning things on the Locked On Bengals <laughs> podcast. You ready for the first question here? And I think it uh, makes a lot of sense. From It's from Nick Kirby, three. And he says, what would our mock draft look like if Joe Burrow was not in this class? And, you know, I think this makes sense, though, because Bleacher Report, as this is going to be happening over the last two weeks uh, until we draft Joe Burrow. But Bleacher Report today said there are people within the Bengals organization that really believe in Justin Herbert. Now, I don't know if that's one final, you know, we're not taking you, but we really believe in you, Justin. You could have been was- a guy. That was Peter King, I think. Was it? Oh, I'm sorry. I might yeah. be miscrediting uh, that. That was Peter King today. Am I answering the question first? Because this is really hard. Because we think Joe and I would probably be on Tua, right? We would say injury yeah. issues, whatever. You have to take the quarterback that has a chance of pushing you over the top, the best chance of pushing you over the top. For me, it would actually come down to Tua and, and I think love before yeah. I would want Herbert because I'm just not – and this isn't to say that Herbert won't be a successful NFL quarterback. He's a really good athlete. He has all the tools. He could figure it out and be really good. He just doesn't like last year going into the season. I'm like, I'm on Herbert, man. I was on Herbert before Tua going into the season last year. And most of that was because of his incredible game against Stanford in 2018. It was just perfect in so many ways. It was such a good game. And uh, he just didn't progress this year. And so for me, you'd be talking, okay, maybe one of the quarterbacks, maybe you trade back. Uh, Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the Chase Young thing has a little more legs. I'd be trying to find a way to get a quarterback here, but it would be, it'd be so much harder. Our last couple of months would definitely have been different. It would have been more debate on the top five guys. It would have been more debate for Chase Young because Ohio State Bengals fans, there would have been more of, man, we really need to see to his medicals and really need to, you know, every would have been hanging on every word of, oh, he's healthy, finally, here we go, let's make the pick. I think you and I would have been on the same page of draft to a one. And because we both think he's fantastic, especially on tape, but the only reason you come off him is because of the injury concern. And then Herbert, I think that's where we'd be sitting. We'd be saying, well, I think the Bengals like Herbert. And I think they do. I think... When a lot of people talk about the trade down scenario, what'd you trade down? Then they send me a picture of taking Tua at five or whatever. And I'm like, no, it'd be Herbert. And they're like, well, I don't like that. Well, me either. And that's why I don't want to trade down. So, And I like Herbert. I just think there's a clear enough gap. Like if we were picking seven, eight, nine, ten, Jake, I'd be like, okay, if Herbert's there, take him. And because I think that's the situation you're in and there's enough upside to hope that he can hit it and enough recent history of seeing guys that are toolsy 
be able to develop in the NFL and be good enough to carry that team into the playoffs and further. So I would be on Herbert for sure, but they're not in that situation. They're still picking number one. And I would say, give me Tua over Love, over, um, and we say Love because Love has all the tools too, over Herbert and over uh, Chase Young. And it's kind of like where we were last year, right? Like if the Bengals were picking 10th this year and Burrow wasn't, it's just, it's just fortuitous. I think that there's such a clear cut QB one for most people, there there are a few people that have Herbert QB one. There there I'm sure a few people that have two a QB one that just are ignoring the injury altogether. But even if right. you ignore the injury, I think Burrow did more on tape in 2019. And we took Kyler Murray in last year's locked mm-hmm. on mock draft. We got we on the clock. At a, yeah, we traded up. We got on the clock and we said, well, we traded up, got on the clock and said, let's do it. Let's t- we're taking the quarterback, and that was the entire idea because we wanted to go get the right guy and. Um, and well, we've, I still feel like we did in that. So you'd still want, we'd still be sitting here saying, get the quarterback. I mean, because I think it's been right. The writing has been on the wall for the last two years about where they're heading. And it just happens to be that Joe Burrow and the Bengals are number one. He's from Southeast Ohio and everything's lining up and going to work out. I mean, we were talking about it last year, Dwayne Haskins, right? We're like, do mm-hmm. we want Haskins at 10? Is that something, and, you know, we had the fear of Daniel Jones, which, was luckily taken off the table for us a little bit. We were talking about these guys. Like, if Kyler was there, right. we were taking him every time. Because it wasn't a sure thing that Kyler was going number one last year. And if I remember correctly, and I can't remember who it was, but the the thought, and I don't know if we talked about this, but the thought was the only quarterback they did like was Kyler. And if he was somehow there, and then yeah. they quickly figured out he wasn't going to be. But if, if there was a quarterback available when they picked and Kyler was there, they would have taken him last year. And it would have been a good pick. In my opinion, it's who we picked. We, we traded up to, I think, five in yeah. last year's uh, Locked On Mock, which is done, by the way. That should be coming out soon. Uh, no surprise, we picked Joe Burrow. Next question comes from Chico Ruiz, 2654 on Twitter. I've heard you guys say about some receivers like LaVisca Chenault that they need to be schemed open. Can you elaborate on that? Is it a problem with their route tree? Contested catchability aren't all pass plays designed to scheme someone open. I would say your last point there is is mostly true. Um, you typically are saying, well, okay, we can use a decoy route and this guy's going to come across and that's where you throw it. And you're scheming that guy to get an advantageous situation and you're throwing it to him. But there's also, on a lot of plays, your X receiver is isolated out on the other side of the field and he has to win one-on-one against his guy, and he's going against the best corner on a lot of them, and, and you need to trust that guy to be able to win at all three levels of the field, short game, intermediate, and deep. And whether it's in contested situations, whether that's, you know, you give him a screen or whatever, he, you want that guy to be well-rounded as possible. A.J. Green, great example of that for the last 10 years. But there are guys on your team that you want to scheme open and hope open. A lot of time they end up in the slot. Tyler Boyd, Mohamed Sanu, they're good players, but they're not going to beat someone one-on-one out on the boundary. They're not going to get deep that often unless you help scheme them open by giving them um, situations where they're running free or getting a, a, a free release and, and they can get into those uh, situations again. Now, when we talk about like LaVisca Chenault and other guys like that, Chenault, when you look at him, looks like a running back and you want to get the ball into his hands. This isn't a negative for him. This is a, and I I do think he needs to develop route running, so it can be seen as a negative that way. But I think when you're talking about a guy like that or Debo Samuel, even A.J. Brown last year, you want to get the ball into their hands. So you want to scheme situations 
to get them on the move or running with the ball early, whether that's with screens or drags or slants, whatever you can come up with, uh, put them in motion, give them a, get them away from somebody on the move and give them the ball, jet sweeps, whatever that is. Uh, and that's a good thing if you're scheming guys open that way. They're just It just depends on the player. It's not a negative unless the Bengals need a guy that can win one-on-one. And that's where I think our need is that the Bengals may need to be replacing John Ross and A.J. Green. And that's why Ross has value because he scares people in, in, in defenses and they back up right away and it helps you win right away and helps you scheme open the other guys. So when you need to replace those, you're just talking about a different type of player than a LaVisca Sinault. Yeah, especially because Chenault didn't run as well as we thought he would, and and that might be because of his groin injury. I think we've talked about that enough. Think about, like, Cordero Patterson, the way that, I mean, I'm not saying Chenault and Patterson is necessarily a good comparison, but guys that are dynamic with the ball in their hands, but in in some cases are limitations, and I'm not saying that for Chenault, but when we talk about scheme plays for this guy, is stuff like what teams have had to do to get Cordero Patterson involved on offense, which is mostly kind of faded out, but you know, Mm -hmm. he's lining up and running back. He was taking screens. He's doing jet sweeps. And there are a lot of examples of this throughout the league history, especially in recent years. Yeah. Like Percy Harvin was drafted because he was a gadget guy. You'll hear that phrase for those guys a lot where they're not going to win one-on-one routes, but you want to get the ball in his hands. So how do you do it? If he's not just going to win because he's running great routes, how do I get the ball into this player's hands? I scheme a way to get them open and that could be stacking them up or crossing routes or whatever or screens or whatever to get him free and get them open to get the ball in his hands. And sometimes they develop. Sometimes they are AJ Brown, right? Where they turn into mm-hmm. just an all round receiver and look at how good he was for Tennessee last year. Have a few more questions to get to Joe. We'll get to all those in just a minute. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Got a lot of questions like this, and I think there is some hope that the Bengals acquire some more draft picks on draft day. And if that doesn't, because I think uh, trading back is a scenario. I went through a few of those options round two, and it very rarely worked out for the team that was trading back and looking at recent history. But how can the Bengals acquire more picks? And we got a few like this, and this one's from Zach Buckelheimer. Z-Bass guy. Any chance the Bengals make a trade with some of their existing players to either gain more picks or move up during the draft? Guys like Price or Ross, and what would you see uh, as the options if they did? Yeah, I think Price and Ross are the two most likely candidates. There are some dark horses you could talk about, but since the edge position is so thin right now, I don't think Carlos Dunlap is really a trade candidate anymore. He was talked about last year, speculated by Paul Daner and others as a potential trade chip. Mm-hmm. I, I struggle to come up with trade options. I don't think Sean Williams is, is very coveted. Clearly, they couldn't find a taker for Drake Kirkpatrick before they released him. Would then Carl Dalton... Lawson be if they tra- – let's say they draft Zach Bond. Could you see them moving Carl Lawson? No, because they, they would only have three edge guys. And and Bond is not a guy that I – you know, if if you lose one of Hubbard or Dunlap – at least you can put Lawson out there in the base and and not feel completely fucked against the run. Whereas if you have Bond out there, 230 pounds, 
I don't feel very good about that edge. The other guy is obviously Andy Dalton, though. I, I mean, if they can find a way to move him on draft day, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And for compensation, if you're asking about Price and Ross, I would say you would hope for a fourth-round pick, and that would be on the optimistic side. I think fifth round, look, look like E.I. Apple getting traded from the Giants to the New Orleans Saints. Get a fifth rounder, and that's a guy that was a top 10 pick yeah. or 10, 12 in that range. I think point, point more for though, right, more for Ross and for Price. I think for Price, fourth rounder, you're you're dreaming. Yeah, maybe maybe there's a team that really loved him in the draft, right? But I mean, obviously, you went to the 20s, so I, it's just a real stretch to imagine right. getting a lot of value for Price with the issues he's had that haven't developed in the NFL. Like a high end for Ross would be a fourth at best. Yeah. For a high end for price is probably a fifth. And I think yeah. you're probably looking at a sixth, a late, you know, here you go. Here's something. We'll take them. Um, but for Ross, I think fourth high end, fifth would make sense. But I could see them potentially packaging with a, with a pick. So Ross plus fifth round pick for high fourth round pick, uh, maybe low third round pick could, mm-hmm. could be a thing. But I mean, how often do you see... I, I actually, now that I say that out loud, you don't really see that happening on draft day very often. You see it more in like this part of the off season, maybe maybe a couple of weeks ago, where you see the draft swap trades. You are one hundred percent right. I just looked at this. Now. Yeah, I just looked at last night as I'm going through like all right trades in the second round, and they were all like the big ones were done weeks before, whether that was a team already trading up in round one or even a year before when it was a swap already or a player involved already in the offseason. It very rarely is a player involved to just sweeten a deal to get you higher in a, in a round. Yeah. All right. Our next question comes from Larry B. Spicer. Let's say Mims and Queen are both available at 33 when the Bengals are on the clock. If it came down to those two, who do you think would be the pick? That's a good question. If it was me, it'd easily be Mims. I'd have Mims higher than Queen. Um I think Mims passes everything they look for in a receiver. I'm not sure Queen passes everything. We talked about this on Monday's Mock Draft Monday episode. If you did not hear that full discussion, you'll want to go back and listen to that one. We ultimately ended up taking Queen, spoiler, but we did in a drastic or rare scenario. So I would say, don't be surprised if they drafted Denzel Mims over Patrick Queen. And both of these guys, I looked at props today because Jay Morrison tweeted something about draft props, and there was something in there about how many cats and dogs will appear. The cat over was a half. So if we see one cat during oh, the seeing, draft. That's a bet I want. We're seeing a cat. Go uh, go bet on over one half cats showing up on draft day, and it was three and a half dogs over under three and a half. But one of the props uh, they, have, they have multiple player props, actually, and both Mims and Queen at this point, I think, are strongly favored to go in round one. The over-under for Queen, I believe, is like 25, and Mims, I believe, is now minus 250 to go in the first round. Yeah, they're go- they won't be there. And if, if you ask me today, they're not going to be there. Those are our pie-in-the-sky scenarios, and um, I, I still, I think, to me, the best player that's going to be available when it comes is at 33 is going to be Zach Bond. Or Jalen Rager, maybe. What's our next question, Joe? Next question is from Sean Mosser. And Sean's asked questions before. Thank you, and welcome back to the show. Can you explain breakout age? I saw Joe talking about it with his class, with this class's wide receivers, but I'm not familiar with exactly what it means. And keep up the great work, Jake. 
Yeah, you too, Joe. And you're going to have to correct me on the technicalities here, but the the general gist of it, really all you need to know about it is it's the age at which the player passed a certain productivity threshold. So Mm -hmm. it's the first time in their career that they were X productive. And Joe, do you know the specifics of what threshold it is that they need to pass? I... It's different for different, but the one we use, I believe, is, and it's a proprietary formula, so they don't tell you exactly, but I want to say as long as they start surpassing 30% of the market share for that passing offense, which can include targets and receptions and touchdowns, I believe. So um, when you look at it is what age were they when they became a focal point of their offense is the best way to, to explain it. And there's someone like Henry Ruggs who has never eclipse that because he's always had two other receivers ahead of him on the depth chart that have always accumulated enough of the market share that he never eclipsed 30 percent so um, when you look at it if you are 17 18 19 years old and you're a big part of a, of a division one school's passing offense that says a lot about your ability natural ability at a young age which usually translates into having success in the nfl All right, I'm going to read some definitions for the people here. So when we talk about breakout age and college dominator or productivity rankings, we're usually talking about the stuff you can find at playerprofiler.com. Sometimes we're talking about some stuff that James Coburn does. He has a Patreon. You can find him on Twitter at Jim Metrics. But the breakout age definition here is the age when a wide receiver first achieved a 20% or higher dominator ranking. And we'll talk about dominator ranking rating in just a minute wide receivers who break out before age 19 are considered phenoms so brian edwards who we picked yesterday in mock draft monday had his breakout age when he was younger than 18 he was mm-hmm. 17.8 years old which is in the 100th percentile now his college dominator score which is defined as a percentage of a wide receiver's total team receiving yards and receiving touchdowns any value over 45 percent is considered extraordinary for a wide receiver. So it's the percentage of your team's wide receiver receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. And again, for Brian Edwards, he was at 48.4. He was almost 50% of South Carolina's Mm -hmm. receiver production at at his peak. And so when a player becomes 20% of a team's passing offense for their wide receivers – then I actually, I think it's just passing offense period. I don't think it's wide receivers. I think I'm wrong about that. Then, then that's their breakout age. So for Brian yeah. Evers, he crossed that 20% threshold when he was 17.8 years old and at his peak 48.4 college dominator rating. Which tends to show and has a good correlation, strong correlation between success at, from college to the NFL. Actually, I'm not even sure if that's peak. That might be for his career. I'm not sure if this is peak dominator ranking or, or, or for his career, if he is 50%. Doesn't matter. Let's move on. Uh, last question comes from Christian at Chris Rosnell on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Could you see the Bengals taking a late round flyer and a QB to back up Burrow? Are there any that stylistically make sense if Joe Burrow goes down? I initially want to say no because they don't have enough picks. But also because the reason is they spent a fourth rounder on Finley last year. You're yeah. looking for a backup. You're not looking for a starter, and they think Finley can be at least a backup. And Jake Dolagala, they like him. So if you're talking about a late-round flyer, is that guy going to beat out Dolagala as the third quarterback, maybe even number two? I don't think so. So save your pick. 
I think they often pick a quarterback at some point in the draft. And this year, that point is going to be the first pick in the draft. And that's going to be it. I don't think they, like you said, Joe, I don't think they have enough picks to double dip at, uh, at quarterback this year. Uh, John Ledyard, Joe, by the way, since we were just talking about Brian Edwards, released his top mm-hmm. 20 wide receivers list today. Yep. Where do you think he had Brian Edwards? No cheating hmm. if you saw my tweet. I did not. So I know the top three are, I'm guessing, everyone's got the same top three. I would have Mims, Jefferson, and then it'd be tough between Rager. I, I want to say six, seven, eight in that range. This is 20, so I'll go eight. Fifth. He was fifth. And uh, Mims, I think, was eighth or ninth. So he's he's lower on Mims because I think – we're, we're seeing this dichotomy happen with Mims where it's people that are basing his grade mostly on tape versus mm-hmm. like people that are projecting a lot based on what they saw at the senior bowl. And I think for John, he's talking about tape and on all these evaluations quite a bit. So, and that's why Brian Edwards is fifth as well. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure there's some uh, counting for his, for his injury there, but he's not counting the lack of testing. He's just saying, you know what? I'm assuming this guy's going to be healthy. And if he right. is, then he's fifth. And I if think Jefferson off, was fourth. Well, interesting. If you're just going off tape, Edwards is fun. I, I keep saying, type him in, watch him. He's got a lot of tools. And and John Ledyard's a guy whose opinion I respect. He's a he's a good draft writer. He's covering the Bucks mostly, but he's still doing a lot of general draft content. So you should go give him a follow. That's going to do it for us, though, on the Locked On Bengals podcast today. We will be back tomorrow to talk about more Bengals draft things. I assume because that is the way of the world right now on the Locked on Bengals podcast. Hope everyone is still staying safe. We're getting pretty close to having a big board, though, so that's pretty exciting. We'll have that maybe a week before the draft, if if we're lucky, because we're a little bit later in the game this year. But until tomorrow, Bengals fans, have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.